all the peripheral things of heaven. But that song that we just sang brings our minds to the, the central, the center of heaven. The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. And I hope that that's where our hearts are focused here, because if the Lamb is what we want to give, who we want to give glory to here, then that will be what we seek there. I too want to welcome each of you and the visitors here. And Janice, I saw your, your car out here. I knew you were going to be here. And then the first song that we sang, I had to think of you there as well. It says, he brings my wandering spirit back. Now, the second part of the phrase doesn't apply, but uh, as you've wandered about over the, 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 the world, welcome back for a short bit at least. It is a blessing to gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ. I've been struggling with some congestion and sickness, I don't know, life, but uh, bear with me and, and pray for me. Do you know, today is a special day. Did you know that? It's the only day that will ever be just like it. Tomorrow, you will be a day older. You will have the experiences of today in your portfolio from which to draw wisdom. The weather might be a little different. It will be. The length of daylight will change. You may have less hair. Your children will have a better sense of who you are. Your habits will be still further entrenched. The small decisions that you are making will continue to strengthen the reality of your trajectory. You will be one day closer to facing the reality of the eternal God. Today is a special day. Time. Time moves on. We just, less than two weeks into a new year, we think of time. What is time? Time was created by God. I'd like to look at time today. A, a title for the message would be Redeeming the Time. If you want to think with me in, in Genesis 1, verse 5, we have time brought into existence. Genesis 1.5 says, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and morning were the first day. Night and dark, evening, morning, day. And in verse 14 it says, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Before that, God, well, God was, God is. He exists apart from time and yet he created the earth and in it he created a cycle of day and night, something and also the the movement of the universe, the solar system, to measure 
so we could have some reference point. We all are given time. But the time allotted to each of us is short in light of eternity. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 90. Psalm 90, beginning in verse 9. It says, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore and years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts into wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us, Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Life is fleeting. It says here that the days of our years may be 70, maybe 80. That's not a guarantee, but it's saying don't expect any more than that. And even if you live that long, the, it says here in verse 10, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow. I think it's what it's saying is what their, the days are going to be, they're to tied to you is that you will labor, you will experience hardship. Expect that of life. But it is soon cut off. Soon cut off. Time is over. The hourglass runs empty for you. says here in verse 12, teach us to number our days. I know one person that says that he takes this verse very literally. He is 31,752 days old. And he takes some pride in numbering his days. And that's fine. But I don't know how many days old I am. And I doubt most of you know exactly how many days old you are. And I don't think that puts you in a worse position if... You're applying your heart to wisdom to use the days that you have for the glory of God. If you're realizing the frailty of life, realize that your life is measured and don't squander the time that God has allotted to you. There's a term out there, there's a thought, a term a philosophy of leaving a legacy. I'm sure you've heard that term. And some people really desire to leave a legacy. What is a legacy? As I, as I looked up that, a legacy is something you pass on 
usually money or material things or something that you are remembered for. Be careful about what legacy you want to be passing on. But as I think about that, I also think of how quickly a life that is passed on is forgotten. Each of us here represents a long ancestry. Some of us here remember our grandparents. Some of us remember our great-grandparents. But that's all. And how many generations before that help make up who you are? Both genetically and the teaching and the, the truth that is passed down from generation to generation. You are a product of your past. In many ways. But... But stop and realize, remember, I had said at one point, I think, and I probably have said it here, I think it would be good for all of us to have to mow a cemetery at least once a year. You walk out through there and you realize that each of those stones represent a life. A life that was just as real as yours is. Pain, joy, labor. Sorrow, feelings, cares, relationships, and it's over and it's gone. And what you have is, is dates. Well, what's important is taking from those lives the things that are that are truth and being sure that you're living your life in a way that will pass something on i never knew my one grandfather he died before i was born i didn't know him now i'm sure that if someone that knew him would know me, they would probably say that there's some resemblances. I'm told that I resemble my dad, and I believe he resembled his dad in more than one way. But part of, part of the thing as I, as I was pondering this thing of time and, and realizing the brevity, the not just the brevity, but sometimes it seems like the futility Recently, mom and dad got a piece of furniture that was grandmother's. And it was her grandmother's piece of furniture. It's old. By our standards. But you know, that person, I didn't even know her name. And it was my great-great-grandmother. I recognized it, but it, it, was not, it was not someone that 
didn't matter to me that much in terms of I don't, I don't have stories, didn't. Now, I've since found a few books that have written, had some things recorded about her and her, her life and her family. But really the thing that's going to make the most impact of your life and from someone else's is a relationship. The relationships and the things that are, the, the values that are passed down. It's interesting the things that go through your mind and come to your mind. I'm sitting here saying that. Recently listened to a, a book kind of a, a biography, and the man in that biography told his son that there are, and I don't have it exactly here, but some people you will remember, and others that change your life, you will really remember. You will remember the tone of their voice. You will remember much more about them if they've had an impact on your life. What are you known for? And what do you want to be known for? Psalm 39, verses 4 through 7. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an hand breath, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, Every man in his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Another Psalm 89, verses 47 and 48. Remember how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain? What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Both of these Psalms underscore the fact that life is fleeting. Life is short. My life is nothing compared to God. And none of us is immortal in our flesh. None of us can stay the hand of death. None of us have the power to keep ourselves alive. But as I thought of that, my mind also went to 2 Corinthians 5. I'd like to read 10 verses there. Second Corinthians 5, 1 through 9. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be, that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that wrought us, hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who hath also given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, 
Knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. So just because life is short and life is fleeting doesn't mean that we should be downcast and discouraged and distraught and despair. Because it says that the reason that God created us isn't to live in this tabernacle forever. He wrought us, he created us, he designed us so that we could put on the heavenly tabernacle. So let's not forget that. And let us take seriously verse 9. Wherefore we labor, part of that labor that's destined to be our lot, but we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. We don't need to fear death. It's not saying that we won't, but we don't need to. Our teacher this morning said that it's hard sometimes for him to stick to the text. He goes all over the scripture, and sometimes that's the way I feel. I have lots of thoughts, and they're pulled here and there, and I don't take a text of four verses and preach for 45 minutes on it. But there's so many areas and angles that bring focus. I'd like to go to James 4. Verses 13 to 16. It says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Evidently, there was a problem here that James was addressing. Men were bragging about what they could do and what they were going to accomplish. And the warning here is to remember, you can make plans, but you're really but a vapor. We have no say in our tenure. And we can and we should make plans. But remember that they are all subject to the timeline of God. And sometimes there are those that took the, take this seriously and understand it. And many of us have heard the phrase and perhaps use it. We say we were going to do something Lord willing. And then pretty soon that phrase may be used Kind of his attack on at the end. It's kind of like we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, do we understand what it means to say, Lord willing? Why do we say that? And it comes from here. If the Lord wills, this is our plans, but let's realize that it's in God's hands. Don't become overly confident in your flesh in the amount of time that you think you have. Now I'd like to 
look at some scriptures that bring a bit more direction to our, to our response of this reality of time and the brevity of life. If we go to Romans chapter 13. beginning at verse 11. And I'd like you to, to think. We opened up, opened up with Genesis 1, looking at day and night. And in the next two passages, think about all the references to day and night, to light and dark, to awake and asleep, And just consider that. Romans 13, 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. There's a time frame. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Recognizing our place in time calls for discernment and it calls for action. I'd like to go to Ephesians and, and read a, a parallel passage and then look at a few things in these two. Ephesians 5. Just verses 8 to 17. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that thou walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Both of these passages tie together closely the concepts of day and light. And it's not looking at time, but it's looking at at good, good versus evil. And then you have dark, night, sleeping. And that is, that is evil. And there's a differentiation between day, light, dark, night, the life of the believer, the life of the unbeliever. And there should be a stark contrast, not only 
of the spiritual perspective, but of the life and the action that goes with it. Knowing the time, it is now high time to awake out of sleep. Sometimes we think, well, I'll take care of that tomorrow. It's a comment made in class. If we go to the doctor and, and he tells us that we should take measures to fix a problem, we probably would go do it. But how often when we know that there's things in our spiritual life that God would have us to change, do we put it off? Do we think we'll take care of that tomorrow? And for some, it's the very initial coming to God, believing, accepting the provision of Christ and awaking out of sleep into spiritual life. Don't put it off thinking that, well, you have tomorrow. It says that now it is high time to wake out of sleep because the end is coming. The time of evil reigning is about over. The day is at hand. But the day should have dawned in each of our lives. The call here is that each of us would awake out of sleep and that we would be awake and that we would live a life that is conducive to the light, that, that matches with the light. A lot of things take place in the dark, rioting, drunkenness, chambering, wantonness, strife, envying. Is your life demonstrating the light or the dark? But here in verse 16 of Ephesians 5, it says, redeeming the time. What does redeeming the time bring to your mind? What does that mean? The ESV translates that, make the best use of the time. A definition of redeem is to recover ownership or to buy back. And so I'd like you to think of it this way. Your time is being given somewhere. Taken or given and sometimes I need to rescue it back from what is unprofitable or harmful. Am I investing my time in that which is, is holy and is profitable? Or is it detrimental to my life or is it hurting someone else? Redeem the time. The verse before that says to walk circumspectly. Circumspectly. It's a word if you put, take the separate it into two, you get circum, which would mean around, and speckly meaning to look. Look around. Time is short. Look around. Be discerning. Are you walking? Are, are you investing your time wisely? These verses call us to reprove darkness, to call out sin for what it is. To not cover up or excuse sin in, in your own life or in someone else's. 
Also be careful who, you, who and what you interact with. Have no fellowship within work, fruitful works of darkness. Withdraw yourself from people or situations that will compromise your integrity. Time is short. Use it wisely. Gary Miller, in his book, Surviving the Tech Tsunami, has a, a section about technology that I have read a number of times, and, and uh, it's applicable there, but I think that it also applies in much broader sense. And I'd like to, to read those, those types of information, and, and you can think of, of applying it to investment of time. There's three types of information. Number one is the destructive. It is deadly to your spiritual life. Pornography, Hollywood productions, and a host of other materials that are detrimental to the followers of Jesus. So that's the type of information that we can, we can go and, and partake of. Number two, the essential. Useful information that helps us to do our jobs and live productive lives. Research, education, and wholesome communication. And the third is the non-essential, information that is not explicitly destructive, yet for many it poses a greater danger to spiritual life than the other two. It fills our lives with clamor, clutter, and constant commotion. If we are not extremely vigilant, continual beeps, buzzes, and vibrations keep us connected with occurrences around the globe, yet disconnected from God in close relationships. We were not made to know everything all the time, we must restrict the amount of non-essential information we ex access. And I think that in time, it's a lot the same. There's investments in time, whether it be in looking for this information, whether it be participating in things that are destructive. Most of us aren't going to go there. We desire to live for the Lord. The essential things, for most of us, we appreciate those. And we, we take fulfillment in fulfilling our responsibilities. But what about the non-essential? <clears throat> I don't believe it's saying that life is only about productivity and efficiency. but it is about the value of our time and our mental capacity. Hobbies are not wrong. But if they take the time away from fulfilling responsibilities or more important aspects of life and relationships, then they might need to go. Education is great. It's great to know a lot, to have a well-rounded worldview and, and know a lot of things. But you know, too much, too much time spent browsing the internet or reading books about things that are really not relevant to your life, they won't aid you in, in fruitfulness and fulfilling your responsibilities. Make the best use of your time. Think about the essential, the non-essential, where you're investing your time. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time, 
Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Others see your life. They see what you invest in. Do they see you redeeming the time? It's another, another thought as I was studying a passage in Ecclesiastes. Now that book of Ecclesiastes has a lot to say about time. And it says a lot of it, it, it can be kind of discouraging and despairing to read that. Life is all vanity, a number of chapters say. But there's a, a few, just two verses here. In chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, it says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Verse 2 says, Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon thee. And I think the, the idea here is, is investing, is giving. And... Cast your bread upon the waters, I think, from, from the reading, doing a little, little research on what that may be referring to, was sowing grain. Because bread, wheat, bread is made from wheat, and those, those wheat kernels are, are seed. And at certain times and places, they would actually broadcast seed into a flooded field and then as the water would recede it would help the seed to be put into the soil and take root but you had to give up something necessity of a necessity because if i if i scatter that grain i can't make bread with it today it's gone but it will come back in abundance after many days put that in in a little context with the next verse Give a portion to seven and to eight. Be generous, for thou knowest not what evil should be upon the earth. There are other people that are in need. They need your help. And did you know that you may also need someone else's help someday? The bread that you cast on the water today may be what you need later that someone else provides for you. Just an interesting concept of, of giving and time. Sometimes we like to give or we like to, we like to invest and see an immediate return. But investment is longer than that. We started in Genesis with the beginning of time. In conclusion, I'd like to look at a few verses from Revelation. Revelation 10, 6 and 7. Actually, beginning at verse 5, it says, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are therein, and the earth and the things that are therein, and the sea and the things that are therein, that there should be time no longer. 
But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants, the prophets. The end will be declared, that time will be over. Time is but for a time. And in 22, Revelation 22, verse 5. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle. Neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Time will be over. And our eternal destiny sealed. A little quote that I don't know where I heard. It's sure it's been around many places. But I think it's good to think of it more than I do. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Redeem the time. I've asked Dallas to lead us in a song that is a very good summary. Um, it says many of the things I've said. Hymns of the Church 952. As I was, was preparing the message and, and thinking, I thought of the song later and realized, yes, it, it quotes many of these passages. And many of you may know the, the background to that song, but today's brother John had a son that was 18, I believe, and in, had a devotional at church on a Wednesday evening on time and the brevity of life. And two weeks later, he was killed in a car accident. And John took the thoughts of his devotional and some other things and, and wrote this song out of that. And it's a call to redeem the time. Let's sing that. Fifty-two in the hymns of the church. 